When you were a child, what family plans kept you awake at night with excitement and expectation? Maybe a family trip to the beach? Uh, in my case, it was a picnic and barbecue with friends at the Indiana State Park. Or maybe a trip to Disneyland. Well, today we're jumping back into the book of Romans, continuing to talk about life through the Spirit and our exciting future inheritance as followers of Jesus. So let's pray. Lord, this, this truth in Romans chapter 8 is so astounding, so overwhelming, that anything we say today will just barely touch the reality of what we're talking about. But I pray, Lord, that in the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to the incredible inheritance of the saints. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who is here to teach us and illuminate our hearts and impress this marvelous truth to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You have an insert in your bulletin of the text of Scripture that I'll be talking about this morning. It's, it's kind of long, but... Um, We'll, you can follow with me paragraph by paragraph and we'll see uh, what the Spirit of God has to teach us. Also, um, we're in Romans and the book of Romans is talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to make an important distinction between Christianity as religion and Christianity as the gospel. So we're starting with the tail end of last Sunday's text, Romans chapter 8, that glorious chapter that begins with, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That alone is something to meditate on and memorize. Verse 16 and 17. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of the glory of God, God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So by faith in Jesus Christ, we become God's adopted children. And if we're adopted into God's family as his children, that means we are heirs. We are part of the family inheritance in Christ. And that inheritance, Paul says in verse 17, is God's glory. You know, the word glory, we sing about it, we say it so much that probably the magnitude of what we're talking about here, we, we never begin to understand just in preparation for this message, I went and got my concordance and went through all the Old Testament and New Testament passages on the glory of God. And it was just overwhelming when we're thinking of what is our inheritance in Christ Jesus. But Paul says suffering is a part of the pathway to that glorious inheritance. You know, suffering is a huge topic for everyone. Believers, non-believers, the cause of suffering, the reason for suffering, the purposes of suffering. Is there a God if there's so much suffering in the world? But today we're only going to touch briefly on suffering for the Christian. Tim Keller says, 
Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, but it does provide deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage rather than bitterness and despair. Jesus came into the world to suffer and to die for us. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. He knows my name. He knows each tear that falls and hears me when I call. Paul says, but, in verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And that's really the summary of this message. Compared to the struggles and the difficulties and the pains of life we're experiencing, we've heard them even in our prayer requests, nothing is compared to the glory that is ahead. That's the Christian hope, the hope of glory, our inheritance along with all of God's children. Ultimate glory, so great, so stupendous, our present suffering is insignificant in comparison. It's a whole lot more than pie in the sky by and by. It's a whole lot more than that. 1 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. And again, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance for the saints. John Piper borrows an example from John Newton a couple hundred years ago when people traveled by horse and carriage. And this is the illustration that John Newton gives. He says, imagine... Imagine a guy is traveling in his horse and carriage to New York to receive his massive inheritance. You get the picture? Traveling to New York to receive his massive inheritance. And on the way, just about a mile out of New York, his carriage breaks down. So he ends up walking the rest of the way to New York. Now imagine if he's saying, oh, my carriage, oh, my carriage, my carriage. He doesn't understand. He doesn't believe the inheritance that's waiting for him in New York, just a mile away. He's fussing and fuming about his broken carriage. How is that like us? What don't we believe or what we don't understand about the gospel that would cause us to be preoccupied with whatever, or lost or whatever pain in light of the glory, in light of the inheritance ahead of us? So we're just like that man, and we're fussing over the pains of daily life and forgetting about the inheritance that awaits us. Verse 19. For all creation is waiting for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. 
So creation groans. Creation is struggling with the pain of sin and death. You know, it's easy to romanticize nature, isn't it? And that often happens in our world. Idealized, idolized, the beauty, the freshness of nature. Certainly there, one guy was saying his deep spiritual experience was surfing with the dolphins in the ocean. Um, so that, for many people, is the extent of creation. Um, maybe your dream is snorkeling on a beach in your favorite island paradise. But sometimes nature bites us. The alligator comes out of the water and attacks a little boy. This happened a few weeks ago in Florida. Or my friend who was on the beach in Sendai and a mosquito bit her, sleeping sickness, and in a few weeks she was gone. Or the tsunami sweeps in on that very same beach and wipes out the whole village. So nature can be dangerous. What's gone wrong? What is going wrong? Earthquakes, tsunamis, typhoons, plagues, pestilence, disease. Creation groans. Something is not right here. This is not the way things should be. We have a reason, don't we? The Bible tells us what's gone wrong with nature. We go back to the book of Genesis, the third chapter. Adam and Eve's rebellion and God's curse on creation, that's the reason why creation is groaning up until this very present time. We read it in the newspaper every day. That's the result of Adam and Eve's rebellion. Do you ever make that connection? That's what's gone wrong with creation. Creation groans, but creation is also eagerly waiting and hoping for that day of healing and restoration. Paul personifies creation here, doesn't he? Like the mother who's in birth pain. Well, I haven't had that experience myself, but I understand that it can be quite an ordeal. Creation itself experiences that pain. The rebellion in Eden not only brought brokenness and suffering upon ourselves, but upon nature as well. You know, God protects the rights of nature. Many passages in the Old Testament, God accuses his people of abusing nature, of using it in greed and recklessness. Creation has rights, and God said, you know, you were supposed to let the land rest. No, 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 you were, you're going to make an extra dollar on the, on the Sabbath day. So man has violated creation, and creation continues to suffer because of man's sin. Not until Jesus returns to restore everything will man's relationship with nature finally be healed. Beautiful passages in the Old Testament I came across this week. Just read the whole chapter of Isaiah 35. That's just one of those glimpses of what that future day is going to be like and what nature is going to be like. Streams in the desert, wilderness in bloom, the blind see, the lame walk, the lamb lies down with the lion. Beautiful story. So it says, so everyone will see the glory of the Lord and the splendor of our God. That's what creation will be like. God has said it. It will be there. It will happen. Verse 23, and we believers also groan, 
even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Anybody feel that today? (laughs) Well, when you get to where I am, you will. (laughs) We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies he has promised us. So we groan too, don't we? In the past 24 hours, I've been experiencing back pain, lower back pain. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe that's the illustration here for this message. Lord, I want a new body. I can't wait. Full adoption. Imagine you're in your garden pulling out the weeds, thorns, thistles, hands bleeding, back aching, weeping, A gentle voice from your garden says, I'm sorry, I feel that pain too. I can't wait until Jesus comes back and puts everything right. It was originally made to be. Someday we will rejoice together. Many of you have seen Miyazaki's films, and one of the features of his films, I've only seen one, is that nature has a spirit. there's a strong connection between man and his environment and, and nature with peace and harmony and intimate connection. Now, I don't accept Miyazaki's worldview. I'm not an animist. Spirit, Paul doesn't say creation has spirit, but he says, and he personifies it and says, there is a connection between God's people and God's creation. And the problems we see in our lives and the problems we see in nature are connected. And those will all be healed and restored someday. You know, that's a, that's a human longing for that, for that restoration, for that glorious day of, of healing and perfect community that, that we all long for. Everyone longs for that. Anybody here remember Woodstock? <laughs> That hippie gathering with all the famous bands, it was the ultimate love-in and rock concert all combined. Remember the lyrics of that Woodstock theme song, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, John? (laughs) Here were the lyrics. We are stardust. We are golden. But we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. That was the theme song of Woodstock. We know there's something special about us, but we're broken. We've got to get back to the Garden of Eden. Well, they never made it to paradise. In fact, I think that same longing continues. How many of you have been reading about Burning Man this past week? Same thing, I believe, the same successor of Woodstock. Every summer in Nevada, this time of year, people gather in the desert for eight days trying to create a utopian community that's supposed to bring out the best in humanity in relationships and creativity and community. Glorious eight days. There's a dark side to the burning man, but that's the goal. That's that's the vision statement. But they don't get back to the garden. They just have to go back to the office on Monday morning. (laughs) 
But Christians, Christians, listen, verse 24, we were given this hope, this hope of this glorious restoration when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have, we must wait patiently and confidently. So we don't have that yet, but we wait patiently for it. Theologians talk about the already and the not yet. That's the nature of our experience, isn't it? Already justified, but not yet sanctified. Already adopted as God's children, but we have not received that full inheritance. Already experiencing many of the blessings of salvation on earth, but not yet in heaven with Jesus for eternity. Already, but not yet. We live in that tension, don't we? That's the suffering. Sometimes in the middle of that, we don't feel the freedom that Jesus has promised. We don't experience that. We even question in the middle of our struggles God's love and whether he's going to fulfill his promises. We're sometimes bewildered and overwhelmed with the challenges of life that we don't know what to do next. Well, good news, verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Imagine that. The Holy Spirit is praying for each one of us. And as the Study Bible footnote says, when the Spirit prays for us, the answers are always affirmative because he prays in harmony with God's will. The Holy Spirit never gets a no. But yes, that is the reality. That is the comfort. That is the hope that we have as believers. And that brings us to the famous, <laughs> glorious promise of Romans 8.28. Now last week I said, Romans 8, verse 1, no condemnation, put that on a tattoo on your left arm. Well, this is the tattoo for your right arm. Romans 8, 28. One of the most glorious promises in the entire New Testament. Do you believe what is promised here? Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Did you hear that? Everything God uses for our good and his glory if we're called according to his purpose. If you're not a follower of Christ and you're in this room today, I would encourage you not to walk out of this room until you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Look what God is promising to us. It's unbelievably true. And there's many unbelievably true things in Scripture, and this is certainly one of them. 
It's an amazing promise. I've known this verse for years and years, but I never saw exactly the context, the important context of the verses that precede and the verses that follow. The Holy Spirit is knowing and praying for every details of our lives when we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray, or maybe we don't even feel like praying. But the Holy Spirit is praying for us. I can imagine a possible prayer by the Holy Spirit for me. Oh, Father, Dan just said something very unkind and unthoughtful to his wife. Thank you that his sin has already been covered by Jesus. Please do not let this delay or deter your sanctifying work in him. Give him a heart of repentance and draw him closer to us as a result of this painful failure. Maybe that's a prayer of the Holy Spirit. Think about what the Holy Spirit is praying for you, to the Father, pleading to the Father, groaning for you every detail. When you don't even know what to pray, I don't feel like praying. That's proof of the truth of this Roman day 28. We may not have it covered. We may not understand. We may be in deep stress, but God is using every situation for our good and his ultimate glory. And if you want more proof of the truth of Romans 8, 28, then let's, let's look at Romans 8, 29 and 30. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That's God's purpose, by the way, to make us like Jesus. That's his purpose. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That is, the, the first one restored from death, his resurrection. The firstborn. So God wants to make us like Jesus. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Now, if you like the bigger words, here they are. God's foreknowledge, God's predestination, God's calling, God's justification, God's glory. One package. John Piper calls this the unbreakable chain. God's indestructible, unchangeable, irreversible purpose and plan for those who love God and are called according to his That says Romans 28 has to be true. God is not going to let one detail in your life deter you from the plan that he has for you in Christ Jesus, that inheritance. That is as sure as he has said it. The final phrase, God's glory, full inheritance, complete sanctification, new bodies, no more sin, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death. A new heaven and a new earth, forever with Jesus. Imagine the scene in Revelation 7. A great multitude are gathered around the throne of the Lamb. And no one could count them from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Did you watch the Rio Olympics? think opening or closing ceremony except millions of God's saints in this gathering. Now, imagine a group photo 
we do this here in Japan, don't we? A group photo. And so what you do, you see that photo, and then you focus in on your national group, and your tribal group, and your family, and there you are. There you are. That picture is proof of the fact that someday you will be glorified. You will receive this full inheritance. Are you in that picture? If you are in Christ today, you are in that picture already. Google it. <laughs> inheritance guaranteed. That's God's promise. That's the gospel. Everything else pales by comparison. And that should affect how you live every day on from now until that photo is actually taken. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the full, glorious implications of the gospel? And is that affecting your daily life? Let me close with just a story that I heard just two days ago. My friend Chris and Angel were here visiting on Sunday, and I was taking them to the airport. And here's the story that Chris told. And I think it's a good conclusion to the message that I've shared with you today. This is Chris Lim. I'm recording a short story that I had uh, from my experience in college. So one time Bill Gates came to my university, the University of Washington, and he gave a talk. And I had the privilege of being the first student to the microphone to ask him a question. And so the question that I asked him was, Bill, what gave you the courage to drop out of Harvard and start Microsoft? And his first answer was actually, well, if you, have a, if you have an idea like Microsoft, I think you should drop out of college and do it too, to which the audience, of course, chuckled with laughter. Uh, and then he answered this way. He said, well, the truth is that for me, there was no risk. There was no risk uh, because my parents kind of viewed this as Bill's crazy little idea, and they decided that uh, you know they would let me go ahead and try this out, and if I failed, they would just send me back to college. And so there would be no risk for me. I could, I could totally take this risk. And that's how I ended up being able to drop out of Harvard and start Microsoft. So I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it was actually a very, very powerful idea because in many ways, if we're Christians who believe that God has adopted us as his children and will one day give us all things in all of creation renewed as our inheritance, it means that we also have no risk. He's already promised he's going to raise us from the dead, which means that even if we risk our lives, he's going to give it back to us. And so that frees Christians who believe in the gospel to take radical risk for the sake of the kingdom and to set people free and to sacrifice what they do have for, because they're going to one day receive more than that uh, back hundredfold. Hmm. That was worth the trip to Tokyo. Just to hear that story, I thought, yes, that's it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters in Christ, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed.